Hi. <laughs> Happy New Year. Uh, I'm looking forward to today, and we're going to be starting a series uh, that should be fun. It will not be as long as our journeys through 1 Corinthians or Exodus that were two years each. Um, I'm looking forward to today. I'm so glad all of you are here. Um, and as we are a renewing church community in a new barn, and it's a new year, and as some say, a new decade, I hope that this is going to lead to a new you, and that new you will implicate a new us altogether. So uh, just to set the stage for where we'll be heading as we begin a new year, um, this whole story that we are a part of together, it's a work in progress. And so the question we need to ask is how ought we move as human beings? as families, as relationships, as a community, as a world, how ought we move forward because this thing is moving. And so we're going to explore the process of change, the process of our ever evolving stories. And we're going to do so through this ancient story from the book of Acts. And central to our identity is to pursue transformation. And you could say that the, that's the reason the church exists in the world in the first place. And, and that is definitely what the farmhouse is built to do in our lives and in, in this place that we call home. And the hope for us then, as we study through this book, is to be the kind of people and the kind of church that we find starting back and continuing what started so far back in the first century. And so uh, welcome everybody to a work in progress. Now, as we uh, begin this journey, I don't know where everybody is at. I do not know uh, what kind of week you have had. I do not know the burdens you are carrying and the struggles you are enduring. I don't know what you have confronted or what you are working through. I don't know what your eyes have seen and your ears have heard. And so I thought uh, it would be good, you know, we're starting over, it'd be a good reset. Um, as I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set the stage here with a couple important things, but as I do so, I thought we would do uh, this to the tune of, of one of the best sounds that, uh, you know, if you've been having, you know, you're just a little bit down, uh, you just feel a little bit sad, etc. cetera, uh, there's nothing quite like the distraction. <laughs> And so if you don't want to listen to anything I have to say, bask in this. I will say, this thing's only three minutes long. And so if you're like, oh, isn't that just so precious? There's a lot more minutes in a day, and it's not always quite like this. So a few core standards, uh, a, a few core ideas uh, for us as we begin um, uh, this journey, as we go through this series. First, the question isn't, can we change? Change is inevitable. The question, rather, is how will we change? We can't stay where we are, and so we need to think about how we will move because we will move regardless. Second uh, important thing that will take us through this series. Change is hard, and it happens slowly. Our first instinct with change will always be resistance, and that's very normal. Change messes with our, our dominant scripts. Change is always a loss of something previous. And change is always difficult. And so we will be inclined to resist it. And that's normal. Third, 
As we change, we will either be intentional about our destination or we will drift towards what is easiest, which is rarely what is best. Okay, so intentional or drift. Fourth, healthy progress always begins with an intentional shift in perspective. Having a destination or a goal is important for where you want to go. And finally, the fifth thing, healthy progress will only manifest with an intentional transition, a plan of tiny steps to navigate the process and its obstacles. If you don't have that, you also will not go anywhere good. So those, those things are going to be at the center. Uh, take that down. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'll send you the video if you want to watch it. I have it on my phone. Steal in the spotlight. I see. <laughs> Everybody loves my kids more than me. Hey. I love you all so much. That's, that's all I'll say. <laughs> all right. So uh, we're, we're going to sing a couple tunes, but I'm going to leave us... Uh, sitting with this, that as this story in Acts, the book of Acts, is our origin story, we would do well to learn from it. And if we are to continue this story that started back there, there is much to be gleaned from its narrative. And so as we change, as we progress, as we transform, may it be in conjunction with what our tradition has handed us. I hope all of that will sit with you for the next few months as we go through this journey. And I want to invite us as we kind of sit in this new moment um, to, to have a time of prayer and meditation. And as we do this, there's a, a way that you can interact if you would like. Um, on the last week of Advent, we wrote on prayer flags that are hanging um, in, in this hallway here. And, and the hope is that you know, every time you come from one space to another, you walk by those and you're reminded like, yep, there's hope. Yep, there's something we're moving towards. Yep, there's these intentions that we've set. Um, and so as we do this, I want to invite you if you feel so compelled or if you didn't get a chance to um, write on one before or there's just something new and you want to add it, um, there are uh, markers and more prayer flags on that back table. At any point, you feel free to get up and write on one. Um, and then if, if you do, I just ask that you get them to Amy um, some way, somehow. Uh, you do not have to put your name on it. Uh, you can just sort of throw them up here somewhere at the end of the day. If you don't want anybody to know you wrote it, that's perfectly fine. Um, and then we'll add those uh, to that hallway. And um, I love the idea of you know, there's things that I've, I've wrote on there that I want to define my life and I want to carry who I'm going to be. And um, that's in, in the midst of being held by all of us together. So um, I encourage you to do that. Um, and I think this meditation is helpful for processing that. So uh, if you're comfortable closing your eyes, absolutely feel free to do so. If you're not comfortable with that, no problem. Um, if you do keep your eyes open, I'd, I'd invite you to um, kind of set them on something specific um, so you're not just like letting your mind wander as much. And the question I want you to consider is, it's December 31st, 2020. December 31st, 2020. And you're anticipating another New Year's Eve 
and then you're going to transition into 2021. Who are you? What is your life like on December 31st, 2020? And I want you to get real specific here. Uh, hopefully emerge some, some grander thoughts. You wake up. Where are you? Are you in your house? Are you somewhere else? Are, are, are you at a different destination? What are you wearing? Are the things that you've purchased throughout the year that have changed your lifestyle? You get out of bed. What do you do? What is your morning routine like? What are the things that you've built in consistently that help define who you are? As you go about that day, December 31st, 2020, who do you see? Who do you talk to? What kind of technology is around your life? What are ways that you're going to spend your time, the things that you're going to do to fill your day? Are there games? Is there a lot of scrolling social media? Is there a book? Is there a devotion? Is there a journal? Who are the people that you're talking to? Have you mended hurt relationships? Have you created healthy boundaries anywhere? Are there people that are in your life that weren't in your life before? Are there people who are no longer in your life that were in your life before? December 31st, 2020, is there any pain in your soul? Are there any hurts? Are there any joys? Is there anything that has happened over the course of the year where you get to that day and there is much to celebrate? But then go further. What's happening in the world on that date? Have the horror stories of the news continued to come true? Or have things changed in a different trajectory? And what part did you have in the change? What are you a part of in your life? Are there organizations or are there groups, communities? Are there any flags that you've decided to carry to help move the world forward? What kind of things you participate in? How do you feel on December 31st, 2020? Is your body different? Is your mind different? Is your soul different? How are you going to be different a year from now? we are not yet all we can be the lives we've built the world we've built they're not finished there is still work to be done there is still beautiful progress to be made 
Help us now to set our intentions that we will make it. Help us to set our intentions so that a year from now we will look in the mirror and see the very reflection of Messiah. That we will take this story and these words seriously for who you dream for us to be as people, as community, and as an earth. May the work continue. May the world turn. And may we never be the same. Amen. One of the most successful ways to make change is to make it public, to have accountability. One way that you can do that write it down. And December 31st, 2020, you feel free to come and look at that piece of fabric that you wrote on and ask, did I move closer to this? Tell somebody. Give yourself that goal, that destination, shift your perspective, and then work through the process of what needs to happen to overcome the obstacles that are in the way. And know that it will be slow and it will be difficult. But if you are intentional about where you want to go, you will go there. And so I invite you to do that um, however you see fits. And as we sing this next song again, if you need to interact in your own personal way, great. If you want to sing along, this is a song you've probably heard before. Feel free to do that. Um, But take that meditation now and let it sit. Let it sink in. Let it move into your flesh and your bones so that it becomes a little bit more real. I always get really excited when we're about to start a new text, right? And I think like we did Genesis, we did Exodus, we did 1 Corinthians, we did Sermon on the Mount. Like we do these long things and there's just this excitement of like, we're about to go on a journey, guys. This is going to be so fun. Um, and then by like the fourth month, everybody's like, are we done with this yet? Um, and I'm always sad when it ends, and I'll be sad when this one ends too. But I, I am excited for this. Um, I apologize. I couldn't find any of my good clothes. Uh, so sorry if I'm a little dressed down for the, uh, the, the 20s. You know what I mean? Um, but no, seriously, I am excited for this. So let's start. Acts chapter 1. Um, and we, there's, a, there's a first part to um, Acts where Acts is actually the sequel to the Gospel of Luke. So you could read them together. And so it kind of opens with like last time in the Gospel of Luke. And you get that. And then in verse 6, we actually get the first act of the book of Acts. And so I want to focus on uh, verses 6 through 11 here. So I'm just going to read it. Um, pay attention to some things that you notice. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going and they were gazing up towards heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up towards heaven? 
This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And thus, the book of Acts begins. That's how the whole thing starts. Now, uh, so this context, post-resurrection, okay? So that happened at the end of the Gospel of Luke. You get this time period that passes. And now Jesus is again with his disciples. And the first part of the book of Acts goes to lengths of explaining kind of how that happened. Um, and then this interaction with disciples occurs, and Jesus leaves, and it kind of sits there. One thing that's important to understand of what's going on here is when Jesus resurrects from the dead, that's not the end of the process. As we talked about with Christmas, incarnation begins a thing. It doesn't finish it. And so the story is going to keep going. So this is how the story uh, continues to go. And the question now, post-resurrection, the question that I think the book of Acts is trying to answer is, how is this going to happen? What's going to be involved with this? What are they supposed to do? Um, And conveniently, we see them begin this new chapter of the movement the same way most of us do. Um, And I think it's helpful here to talk about New Year's resolutions. How many of you Came up with some New Year's resolutions? Anybody? Okay. One person? <laughs> yeah, so uh, grace and peace. <laughs> One person's like, I'm going to take this year seriously, and the rest of you are like, you know, it's just, I'm busy. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Okay, so... Uh, now, there, there is some, there is some uh, criticism that you could have of New Year's resolutions. It's kind of a, a trope that nobody fulfills them, right? Which isn't true. I've met a lot of people who like go from beginning of year to the end and they actually stick with these things. Uh, for most of us, we don't. Like, it's, it's the stereotype of like, I'm going to work out this year. In January 7th, you worked out. In January 8th, you were never to be seen in a gym again. Yes, that happens. Or like, I'm going to eat healthy until I get busy. And then it's just, it's convenient. And whoops, I kind of forgot about that. And it's October. And you're like, how did I gain weight? Like, yeah, yeah. No, that, that happens. There is something about setting a resolution, though, of setting an intention for somewhere down the road uh, that I think does something to us. So I want to show you a piece of art. Uh, can you go to that, that next image for me? Um, this is actually in the Toledo Museum of Art. Has anybody seen this? You've been there and seen it? I actually want a show of hands. We're going to have to up our Toledo Museum of Art participation. We have a great art museum in Toledo. Do you... <laughs> you do have to pay for parking. That's inconvenient. Um, Okay, well, this one is in the Toledo Museum of Art. There's a lot of great work. There's, there's a Van Gogh at the museum. Uh, there's two Van Goghs at the museum. Uh, the Architect's Dream. You've never seen that one at the Toledo Museum of Art? All right, well, um, so this is there. This is by a man named Alfredo Yar from Chile. Um, he's known to kind of associate with some of the political movements that happened there. Um, very in tune with some of the devastation that happens in uh, that South American country. Um, and so he, he created this, and he creates very uh, social 
socially challenging works of art. <clears throat> and some of you are probably looking at this like, it's a neon light. That ain't art. Fair, we're not going to get in that, uh, that debate right now. Um, but so he created this one in response to something that he saw a lot with human beings in the world. And that was um, his desire to see a different world, right? There's this ideal. Like, and if we were to ask you, paint how the world ought to be, yes, you can probably come up with some of those things. And, and so you kind of have this vision of who you want to be, who you want the world to be. And this monumental hope, there's that. But he also had the sense of, and then there's reality. There's where our feet are actually on the ground and any kind of like change, large vision seems a little bit naive when you're honest about some of the, the obstacles that stand in the way of those things. And that's why he created this. And, and I love how it functions of like it looks kind of like a warning sign, right? This, this red, yellow, orange, like stop, warning, this could be dangerous. And yet it's done in this way that kind of feels like a welcome like, yes, this is, the, the font is, is very soft and it sort of welcomes you in. And both of those two things um, sit, by, sit side by side, this warning illumination, but also this like welcoming illumination. And I think this compels us to look at the world and look at yourself. And it almost paralyzes you with a weight of, Yes, this thing needs to happen, but, whoa, this is heavy. And I think like when you set a resolution, unlike most of you, when you set a resolution, there is like this hope of like, imagine what that could be like. And yet, I don't know if it will ever happen. And so he writes this out, be afraid of the enormity of the possible. This thing that's right in your grasp and yet it feels enormous, like it will never happen. I think that's actually uh, what's happening in this first text in the book of Acts. Um, can you go back to the, the Acts text, actually, for me? Um, go, to, for, go to the first one. Let, let's, let's unpack this a little bit. So the first thing um, that I want to say is the disciples... I don't know, I know we've talked about this before, and I don't know what your context is for this. The, the lifespan somewhere around 40, 45. The disciples we know, uh, the oldest Peter, the oldest he probably was, was 20. More likely that he was around 18. And he was the oldest by a good bit. Most of the disciples were probably 14, 15, 16. So please keep that in mind when you read that story. You're talking about high schoolers, teenagers. That's who the disciples are, okay? So there's points where you're like, those disciples, like, they seem a little bit rambunctious. Yeah. Have you been to the high school? Like, show up to football practice. And that's who, that's who the disciples are the age of. Um, I do think this makes a really important point. You want to know the people whom Jesus trusts the most to carry on his movement, those of you over the age of 20, it's not first and foremost you. Be careful with how you interact with young people. Okay? Yeah, so sometimes they can seem a little bit like, mm. 
Yet, those are the ones, the very thing that we're here participating in is because of a bunch of high school teenagers. Keep that in mind, okay? Now, uh, so you got a bunch of teenagers, and uh, they have been given this very countercultural call by a rabbi. Now, how it would work is you would go through this process, and the best of the best of the best would eventually be uh, studying under a rabbi. If you weren't, then you would go ply your trade. We meet the disciples, and they're things like fishermen, which means they didn't make it. Okay, they're dropouts of rabbi school, and yet Jesus calls them, so that's a very profound thing, very countercultural. Um, and then they go through this process with their rabbi for three years or so, where they're following him everywhere, they're learning, they're studying, they're engaging, they're participating, they're doing some things with this rabbi, and then their rabbi dies. And in that moment, it's like, well, this is over. What are we going to do? And then the rabbi doesn't come back to life. The rabbi resurrects, which in the Jewish mind is the resurrection of the dead, which is like, oh, the thing that's supposed to have been happening with Israel for since the beginning, it's happening. This, is, this thing's actually unfolding. And then the rabbi leaves. That's the context of what's going on with these disciples in this first part of the book of Acts. Now, their first response when they see Jesus appear to them and they're all like together for the first time since it's happened, it's like, all right, now we got that death resurrection thing over with. We're ready to go. What's going to happen? And their first response is, uh, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? To which Jesus is like, are you guys so dull? No. What are they asking? Do you know? Are you going to go and take out Herod and Caesar and make Israel the powerful nation again? Are, are you going to uh, use our, our faith to finally make us the top dogs in the world again? Because that was the hope of Messiah. And this is why you constantly see Jesus interacting with people where he's like, no, that's not what, that's not what I'm doing. You're missing the point. It's about something else. Are you seeing that that's not going to work? And here the disciples are, been with Jesus all of this time. Resurrection happens, and their thing is like, oh, now you're going to go destroy all of our enemies, right? And it's like, have you not been paying attention? That's not what's happening. And so a couple things here, because I actually think that a lot of us tend to sit in this space sometimes, or at least our heads go there. First, Jesus is not interested in speculations about the end of the world. Okay? If you're into like the whole conspiracy, like when is the world going to end and you want to do that on your free time, I can't stop you. Just know that Jesus isn't very interested in that. The second thing that I think is super important, especially from what I see in common cultural dialogue, I do not care what your political stance is on anything. Okay? Let's push that to the side for now. I know in this room that we could bring up any political situation and you will have somebody on opposite sides of it. I know that because I know most of you. Okay? If you have a political uh, take on some item or some topic, that's fine. My only request is keep exploring it 
Don't assume that you have all of the information. Keep, keep having the dialogue, keep conversing. You can still have your stance, great. Don't, don't let that be the end of the conversation. Here's the dangerous thing. Here's what I'm asking that you don't do. Do not use our faith as a card for determining who should have power in the world. All right? If you go and say, Jesus has said that we should do this political thing, that's dangerous, and that's what the prophets are constantly confronting Israel about all through the Old Testament. You need to be careful with that because when the disciples go, Jesus, are you now going to be the political supreme ruler of the, of the universe? Jesus says, you kind of missed the point there. That's not how this works. And two things that we need to pay attention to as you go through the book of Acts is it's confronting two myths. First, the myth of scarcity. Second, the myth of redemptive violence. And if the whole point for Jesus to resurrect is that he can become like the king like on a throne, then we miss the kind of kingdom he was trying to bring because it's supposed to look different than all the other kingdoms. Okay? Now, second thing we notice um, here is that this is about ascension. And Noah alluded to this um, uh, previously. But a lot of times we go like, we don't know what to do with ascension. And for those of you who come with a Catholic uh, background, that this is talked about quite a bit. Um, but it's still like, what exactly is that? I don't think the point of ascension is figuring out where Jesus now is. I think the point of ascension is, why did Jesus have to go in the first place? And I think this comes down to incarnation. In Jesus, the Christ that has exist, existed since the beginning, the Logos, the Word, right, is manifested in the person of Jesus. The dwelling of the divine is with Jesus. We get here, and Jesus says, the dwelling of the divine has to now incarnate in all of you, and so I need to leave. The, the teacher is, trains the students, and then the teacher says, now it's your turn, and he gets out of the way so that the whole group can now go and do this thing. That's ascension. Why that's important with this text is basically Jesus says, I'm not going to sit here and hold your hand. I will still be with you because the same divine presence incarnated in me is going to come with power into all of you, but I'm not going to hold your hand. Now let's go do this thing. You're responsible for it. And again, who's he talking to? Teenagers. Okay? So that's a little bit of the context there. And then he gives the command. Go to the next, the next one. So... Um, oh wait no is it the yeah no go back sorry my bad yes but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and then he gives a, he gives this command and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth now does be my witnesses and this is again probably something we can have a longer conversation about we did a little bit at the 9 o'clock hour uh, does be my witnesses mean Go make sure that everybody checks the box of their religious classification in all these different places and get them in. What does it mean to be a witness of Messiah? My, my interpretation, the short version, would be that you go and embody Messiah in a way that brings the kingdom of God and that transformation into wherever you are. Okay? 
I just think it's a good caveat to think of as he says this, because it'd be easy to turn this into something that I don't think it's about. And then he says, uh, in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Where are they at this point in uh, the book? They're in Jerusalem. Okay, so, so far, in Jeru- go, go be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Uh, they're already there. Good, got that one. And then he says, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Why not just say, in the place that you are and then everywhere? Why, why do it this way? I mean, if you were reading this and it just said, and you will be my witnesses where you are right now and everywhere, would we necessarily skip a beat there? So why does, uh, why does the author make sure to know that we're given this list? What's that? It must be important. It doesn't, it's not just a vague thing. It must be important, the specific things that Jesus is alluding to. Ends of the earth, um, the prophets constantly proclaim that the light of Israel will go to, guess where? The ends of the earth. And in the book of Genesis, the first humans are given a command, fill the earth. And so there's this notion within the, the, the people of Israel that this thing that God is doing is supposed to go to the ends of the earth. Jesus then is saying, hey, teenage disciples, that's what you're doing. This thing that God has been up to through Israel since the beginning is now on you. Go. Okay? Why Judea and Samaria? Wrestle with that in your head. Judea is the southern part of Israel. comes from the tribe of Judah. Israel was eventually split. The northern tribes and the southern tribes. So it begins to be called Judea down there. The other part of Israel after Assyria comes and takes it over and messes up the genetic line. Do you know what that place becomes called? Samaria. And Jesus says, go to Judea and Samaria. Quick question. What did the disciples at one point in the gospel think should happen to Samaria? (laughs) They say, they're walking to Samaria and they go, hey, Jesus, uh, would you like us to rain down fire on them? (laughs) That should make you, like, laugh. (laughs) The disciples think that the answer to Samaria is to use the power of God to set them all on fire. And Jesus is like, oh, teenagers. Seriously, that's, that's the interaction. Why? Because Assyria was the enemy. Assyria was the, or uh, Samaria was the half-breeds. Samaria was the problem. Samaria was the reason that this thing wasn't working out. And what does Jesus say? Judea and Samaria. You know the ones you don't like? You know your enemies? Part of this too. Go to both. Go to the conservatives and the liberals. Go to America and Iran. There's no boundaries for this one. If you're participating in this work of God, there's no boundaries. Sorry, you got to go to both. And that can be a tough word to hear when we have allegiances to lots of different things that do include boundaries. Okay, so that's where that comes in. 
And uh, what I think that we can recognize here is that whatever is starting with Messiah, it is built in that it will expand and it will grow and it will continue to move. The, the kingdom of God is like a two-year-old. I know you've probably heard it's like a mustard seed. I like two-year-old better. Why? Because that two-year-old's constantly growing and expanding and moving and the world's getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger for them. And Jesus says, that's what this is going to be like. Who's going to go do it? Who's this up to? You all. And it's almost like you start the book of Acts by Jesus saying, go and finish what I started. Go. It's you. Their, their understanding here would be that they're fulfilling the work of Israel that has been in process since creation started. And you've got to think like a thousands, thousands and thousands of years and people have been waiting for this to happen and now they're told that this group of poor, incompetent, poor, incompetent teenagers who still think that Jesus is going to destroy Rome, they've been following and benefiting from this teacher. Now he is leaving them and saying like, Okay, go. Go and do this. And what is their response? Jesus says, go. All right, it's on you, all of this stuff. Bam, here it is. And their response is, the two men come, uh, men of Galilee, uh, why are you standing there staring up into the sky? Did you not hear him? And they just... And that's it. And that's how the section of the book of Acts ends. This is what I hear Jesus saying. Through you, my young disciples, this kingdom will actually radiate to the rest of the world. Through you, the very vision for humanity will be made real. Through you, the world will look like it is intended to. This koinonia, this life I've been teaching you about, this world God's been recreating is finally going to happen. So go on, do it. And they just stand there. As I said, the way the book of Acts begins is very similar to what so many of us experience in the world around us. They've been told exactly what to do, but the possibility is enormously overwhelming. And so a couple things that I think that we can take as we begin, hopefully, a new part of our chapters and our stories and our journeys. Um, the first thing would be, as you begin a new year, a new decade, though I hear there's some controversy on if the decade doesn't actually begin until next year. But um, as you begin this, I, I hope that you're full of hope of what could be the same way so many of us are at a new year. And like, ah, maybe this will be the year that I finally, I hope that you are full of hope. But you would feel right to be a bit overwhelmed. If there's one thing that we can learn from this. To be overwhelmed with the hope of what could be, it's normal. It's normal. Even the disciples before you had the same thing. If you are asking, but where do we even begin? You are in good company. That's been experienced before. If you find yourself staring at the sky wondering, I don't know if I'll ever be able to make this happen. 
it's normal. And I don't know that it's completely a bad thing. If you're wondering, like, I really want to fix my marriage. But I don't know. I'm afraid of the enormity of the possible. So were the disciples. If you're finding yourself going like, I just don't know that the things going on in the community can be fixed. I don't know if my family will ever have a good, healthy interaction again. I don't know if my children will ever respect me the way I wish they did. I I don't know if these things that I so desperately need to happen in my life, in my career, in, in my relationships, in our community, in the world, I just, I don't even know where to begin. It's kind of how it works. And I would say that that's actually kind of a good thing. Because if you're entering into something that is daunting, and you're like, ah, it's no big deal, I got this, I'm worried about you. There is a certain respect that comes from something monumental. There's something that should give us a little bit of fear that this thing is big. And having respect for that might cause you to pause. And and so I don't want to cast a moral judgment on what the disciples do, but I think it's interesting to go, maybe what they do is actually a good thing. Maybe as you stare down the immense reality before you, that this work needs to be finished in all of these different ways, maybe it's okay if you have a little pause. If you just stand in the emptiness and go, it's okay. In fact, I'd say you're more likely to eventually make the changes that you need to if you have a little bit of fear of how difficult it's going to be because at least you're honest. But here's the danger of it. Even in the midst of moving into uncharted territory, which can be difficult, in fact it will be, you do have to figure out what the next right step is. Because the problem is if your pause turns into paralysis. And if you stay paused the whole time, now you've just moved into nothing will actually change. Don't let pause become paralysis. You know what the problem is with the disciples here? Do you know when they leave Jerusalem and finally go to Judea and Samaria? Chapter 8. Their pause becomes paralysis. And you know why they eventually go to Samaria? What catalyzes them to move? Persecution. If you try to stay put, the wave of life will come and crash into you. Have your pause. Please, cast that intention. Like if you go and read some of the things written on on those prayer flags, I imagine you'll have a, oh, that's big. That's big. But here's something that I love. Realistic goals will make you feel like you did something important. Unrealistic goals will ensure that you actually will. Our goal as a faith community to be a part of this story. It's unrealistic. It seems impossible. But if we enter into that healthily, it will actually move towards where we need to go. And that can be beautiful. 